In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. At a school that I used to work at, teaching English, we used to give our students high standard model essays for them to know what to aim for with their own essay writing. And some teachers thought this was a bad idea, that it was unrealistic to expect our cohort to achieve such a standard and we would just end up crushing their spirits. But the thinking was that if we gave them a 90 or 95% model, sometimes 100%, they might achieve an 80. But if we gave them a 75 or an 80 to begin with, they might settle for a 60 or a 65. As long as they had the best as their goal, they knew what to aim for, and they knew that they were called to excellence. And so it is, I think, on this Sunday where we commemorate St. Mary of Egypt, who probably is the most extreme of all examples of saints who have dedicated themselves to prayer, to fasting, and to the ascetic life. And we might ask, why do we have such an extreme example given to us, especially at this late stage of Lent? And I keep coming back to the quotation from the American novelist Flannery O'Connor, who said, to the hard of hearing, you shout, and for the almost blind, you draw large and startling figures. And we are those who are almost blind, and we are those who are hard of hearing. And we need large and startling figures to get through to us. We need extreme examples to shake us up, because mediocre ones would simply cause us to justify our inaction and our inertia. So I'd like to take a look at some things that we can learn about St. Mary of of uh, Egypt on this Sunday, and I'll start by giving briefly her story, and a more complete version will be offered in the Synaxarion this morning. But basically, St. Mary at age 12 ran away from home and lived a very sinful life, like the prodigal son. And she ended up joining a group of pilgrims one day that were going to Jerusalem to venerate the Holy Cross. And she joined them, not because she was interested in the uh, pilgrimage, but simply to cause mischief. And when she was at this church, God confronted her with a, a realization of her sinfulness, and she fled into the desert to pray and to fast in severe repentance for almost 50 years. Now, an elder from a monastery seeking solitude in Lent, a certain Saint Zosima of Palestine, finds her and he hears her story, and that's how it's passed down to us today. And like I say, a more complete story will be given a little bit later. The first thing I'd like to look at here is what St. Mary offers us in terms of dealing with sins in our life. And the first thing that is significant is that she is struck by an awareness of the reality of her soul, an awareness of her sins. And this is the first step that we need to pray for, because if we don't even know what's there, we can't begin to deal with the sin in our lives. And this was the first gift granted to her. And St. Isaac the Syrian makes clear that the awareness of sins is a gift. He says uh, that they who sense their sins are greater than they who raise the dead by their prayers. And those who are made worthy to know themselves are greater than those who are made worthy to see angels. 
The next thing St. Mary does is she acknowledges and confesses her sins. She does this before the icons of Christ and the Theotokos in the church where she experienced this change. And she also confesses to the elder Zosima when she recounts her story to him. So this is a good reminder for us. When was the last time we came to confession? Among the different Orthodox churches, there is a variety of practice with, uh, with this sacrament. And the standard in the Antiochian church is to come at least four times a year. It's not something to be adhered to legalistically, but that gives us a bit of an indication. And perhaps it's a useful reminder for us to book in once again with Father Jeff and confess. The next step St. Mary does, and this is one I'd like to spend a little bit of time on this morning, is she takes concrete steps to make good her repentance. It wasn't just a sorrowful feeling of, of contrition, she actually changed her behavior. And sometimes extreme measures are required. Christ in Matthew chapter 5 verse 30 says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And he says a similar thing if your right eye causes you, you to sin. Just to be clear, this is not to be understood literally, but he is saying we should be ruthless about what is problematic for us. It's better to be inconvenienced rather than to continue to place ourselves in situations that cause us harm. Now, this radical move is shown by St. Mary in her action of crossing the Jordan River. Crossing the Jordan is something that features again and again in the Bible. And each time it comes up, something significant happens. In the Feast of Theophany, where we celebrate the baptism of Christ, the hymns go through all these different types of the Old Testament. And of course, they're speaking about baptism. My interest today, however, is in this other common aspect of making a decisive move. In Joshua 3, the Israelites cross the Jordan River to, to enter the promised land. In the book of 2 Kings, or 4 Kings, following the Septuagint reckoning, Elisha parts the Jordan after receiving Elijah's mantle when Elijah is caught up into heaven. In the same book, Naaman the Syrian is cured by washing in the Jordan River. And in Genesis 32, earlier, Jacob recounts how he became a rich man, a wealthy man, once he had crossed the Jordan River. Each of these show a leaving behind of an old situation for something new. And crossing the river is a moment of transformation. It's significant that the best-known person in the Bible associated with the Jordan, St. John the Baptist, says in Matthew 3.8, to bear fruits worthy of repentance. So he wasn't just baptizing people, he was challenging them to change their ways too. Crossing rivers even features as an important moment in situations in world history or in world mythologies. Julius Caesar famously crossed the Rubicon, beginning a five-year civil war and becoming the emperor of Rome. And of course, this term, to cross the Rubicon, is synonymous for committing to a situation that you cannot undo. And many armies have invaded other countries by this action of crossing a particular river. In Greek mythology, we find that the crossing of the river Styx takes you from, uh, from life to death. 
What we see as a common element in all these stories is that the crossing of these rivers, there is no turning back. And the question, I think, is put to us. What are the rivers that we need to cross symbolically? What are the decisive moves that we need to make about sins in our lives? Do we take drastic measures to avoid the situations that cause us to stumble? Perhaps there are places that we should avoid. Perhaps there are people who are not good for us. Maybe there are online spaces or online usage or usage associated with technology that is unhealthy. Maybe there are material items, food, drink, or whatever else that we know are not good for us. Maybe like me, you might confess your sins but actually fail to take some practical steps to avoid problematic situations. The good news for us is that it's not too late to make a renewed dedication to relinquish whatever it might be that is leading us astray. Something else I'd like to look at with St. Mary is how she fits in with the other great saints that we commemorate on Sundays in Lent. We've uh, remembered St. Gregory Palamas a few weeks ago and St. John of the Ladder, St. John Climacus, last week. And I was thinking about what it What is it that these saints have in common? What is a a running thread between them? And I think with St. Gregory Palamas, we are given the big picture. We are given the end goal, the reason why we are alive. And this is to acquire the the very life of the Holy Trinity, that we can participate in in the life of God in his energies. And this is what St. Gregory Palamas champions. So this is the why, the why of why we're here, right? St. John of the Ladder, he zooms in on the process and he describes life as this journey. The goal is still there, but there's this journey and he describes it as a ladder. So St. John is giving us the what, what it actually is that our life is going to be comprised of. What I believe St. Mary of Egypt offers us is the how. How do we go about climbing each rung of the ladder? How should we go about every day living out our spirituality with all our soul, heart, mind, and strength. Her icon is so confronting. In fact, there's no icon like it because her body is so wasted away, so emaciated. It shows the all-consuming nature of of her devotion to God. And she really um, critiques the lesser gods that we live for and the, and, and the lesser things that we devote our lives to. This is the A-plus standard essay for us, given to us at these waning weeks of Lent. For those who are flagging, perhaps Lent hasn't quite worked out exactly as you would have hoped. It's a clarion call to rouse ourselves afresh. And for those who have really powered along, who've really had just an outstanding Lenten season, praying more, attending services, fasting well, giving to others. It's a reminder that we can always be trying harder, that we can always be pressing in further or praying with more single-mindedness. After all, the life of St. Zosima is bound up with this story of St. Mary of Egypt. And St. Zosima was such a holy man. He was tempted to believe that there was no one holier than he was. He was a professional monk and he had been doing it for many years. And he goes out and he meets St. Mary, 
who's got this gift of foresight and she's levitating off the ground as she's praying and she's obviously holy and he begs her to bless him. A priest begging someone else for a blessing. It never happens, but he is humbled by the great holiness which she shows. I believe St. Mary also shows us that sometimes the path for us really in life is to wrestle with one major sin. And she was divinized really largely by her efforts on this one sin that she worked on. I'm reminded of a scene in Little Women by Louisa May Alcott where the mother of the March girls is speaking to one of her daughters, Joe, And Joe has a terrible temper. She's always getting angry and she's despairing that she struggles so much with anger. And her mother admits to her that she also struggles with anger. Now her daughter is stunned and she says, I've, I've never seen you angry. And this is what her mother says. She says, I've been trying to cure it for 40 years and I've only succeeded in controlling it. I am angry nearly every day of my life, but I have learned not to show it. And I still hope to learn not to feel it, though it may take me another 40 years to do so. And for some people, this is the cross that has been placed on them to just struggle with one particular sin for a long time. The paradoxical thing is that in focusing on this so, in, so intently, St. Mary gains it all. And this shows us the role of prayer, the crucial role of prayer in our lives in overcoming sins. In the way of a pilgrim, we read, pray, and do not overly exert yourself in trying to defeat the passions, prayer will destroy them in you. In the art of prayer, Saints Barsanufius and John say that the constant invocation of the name of God is a medicine which cures not only all the passions, but also their effects. It shows us that God values our effort, our desire, and our sincerity above completing an external checklist of actions. What matters is the transformation of the heart. What matters is acquiring the Holy Spirit. So in conclusion then, some saints have endured persecution and torture, and that was the path for them. Others have lived lives caring for the poor and the forgotten. Still others have written of their experiences of prayer and spirituality, or composed beautiful prayers and hymns and liturgies for the church. Others have led the church through difficult times, through ecumenical councils, through times of war, or other hardships. Some, like the disciples in our gospel today, had to live in community to learn to not want to be the greatest, to not to be the first, and that was the path for them. For others, they had to live in isolation. Obviously, this is not an exhaustive list, but others like St. Mary have given themselves intensely to prayer and fasting, and they show us what wonders can be achieved when we set our mind and our heart on it. Our journey and our, own, and our own cross will be different. What we see is that through God's grace and St. Mary's unflagging desire, her problem with lust was transformed to a burning love for God. And St. Mary teaches us to be ruthless in making the necessary changes that our lives need, to acknowledge our sin and repent of it sincerely by changed habits. She shows us how we must live this journey toward becoming godlike with abandon, with our whole heart, 
giving ourselves over to prayer. May God help us do this too through the prayers of St. Mary of Egypt. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Rejoice, O life-giving cross, unconquerable trophy of the truth.